A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Join us for a journey. So we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on the third part of the 650s BC on Fan of History. Hello again, Dan. Hello again, Bernie. I have to tell you something. Tell me. I do a lot of podcasts, as you know. They are all in Swedish. I currently run 14 different podcasts. But I have, if everything has gone well when you hear this, I have resurrected my second English podcast. So there should be a new episode out of Fan of Astronomy. Ooh. And it's been like two years since we could do an episode of that. Nice. I have to check that out. So it's me and uh, hopefully Angelo who talks about Saturn. So That's going to be cool. I find out all about Saturn on Fan of Astronomy. The other 12 podcasts, all in Swedish. Totally impossible to understand. You got so I tell you, I don't know how you do it. Well, I'm still in quarantine, so I don't do much else. But still, the mind, you must have, just to be able to keep all that stuff in your mind. I mean, I have all I can handle with Semiticus. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get into the 650s. Okay, yeah, so we're right back into it. At 654, we hear that the bed of Marduk was returned to Babylon. Now, I don't have all the actual details, how they got it there, what it was all about. But all I could really find was that the statue of Marduk was returned to Babylon at the beginning of Shamashuma Ukan's reign. Other items of Marduk's furniture were kept in Assyria for at least 14 years. So it seems that his bed was returned around now after 14 years. So, um, I mean, the poor God he must have had to sleep on the floor all the time, right? I wonder what this bed looked like. Yeah, I do have a little because I did I did keep digging and I found a couple of things. And thanks for the Bible. We do have a reference to a bed in the Bible, similar, very eerily similar, called Og's bed. Who the hell is and Og? So I will tell you about Og. Okay. It, Og was one of the 
well, the people that are believe in giants and things like that. Mm-hmm. He's one of those type of people. So, so he's the, a giant or somebody who believes in giants. Yes. Yes. He is one of the Anakai, you know, the Anakim, the Nephiim and the Anakin. They when um in Genesis they say when the when the Hebrews were coming through there were some areas that were ruled by giants. And so, of course, people have clutched onto this on the History Channel, and they go searching for these giants and whatnot. So Og was one of the last of the giants. And in the Bible, it's in, he's in um, Deuteronomy. The, the dimensions of this bed is 9 by 4 cubits, which is 6 by 13 feet. And strangely, that's what it says in the Bible. These are the exact same measurements of an archaeologist found a bed in the ziggurat, in the Entomanaki ziggurat in Babylon, that they found this bed. So this was Marduk's bed, and that was the size. And in the Bible, it's the same size. And, of course, we know that the Hebrews or the Israelites were in Babylon when they were finishing up the Bible. So that's probably where that you know, all came from. Huh. So it says that this unusually large bed was housed in the house of the bed. It was the place where the god Marduk and his divine wife, Zarpanitu, Zarpanitu, met annually for ritual lovemaking, which was the per- which was the purpose of which was a divine blessing upon the land. So, you know, when they had the New Year's festival, then he had to go, the god, I'm assuming, had to go in and make love to his wife um, on the bed. And he didn't have the bed for 14 years, so. so Marduk only got to have sex once a year. And yes. then somebody stole his bed. Sorry <laughs> for the guy. I am not mentioning Servant of the Bones by Anne Rice. Okay. So, <laughs> I mean, it was ritual love making. So maybe he was doing his other business with the other stuff. I don't know. I don't. I mean, let's not. Uh, he they had no bed though for 14 years to make love in. I feel that Shama Shumukin should have uh, speeded this process up if he wants to make friends with the Babylonians. I think you're right. I think this is, you know, I bet I'll bet that there was some tension going on between him and his brother. Maybe Ashurbanipal kept the bed and had like orgies in it just to defile more. <laughs> you know, it may be. Oh. Or he put other gods in it, Asher in it or something. Oh, no. Oh, man. Yeah, so yeah, we said, oh, here's what it says in Deuteronomy about Og. Og, king of Bashan, was the last of the Rephaites. His bed was decorated with iron and was more than nine cubits long and four cubits wide. It is still in Rabbah of the Ammonites. So yeah, they say Marduk other was uh, portrayed as being superhuman in size. So that's why he had a big bed. Well, Gilgamesh would have loved that bed as well, I think. Oh. Uh, so they just made a big bed for their deity and that was kind of part of the Babylonian propaganda. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah, um, in Gary's History in the Bible podcast when he goes into the Ark of the Covenant, he describes it. If you if you really, if, so I'm, I was raised Catholic, so we go to church, you know, I went to church a lot on Sundays and read different passages, but we didn't hear some of them. And there's a lot of passages in the Bible where they're just discussing how to build this Ark of the Covenant, basically like put gold on the handles and make it this It was basically like a blueprint for, for how to build a room, you know? So these kind of, these things were all written around the same time. So apparently the gods there had furniture 
because it says, you know, that there was more furniture that had to be returned. So the bed was one. I mean, I guess he maybe had a nightstand and some other things. Uh, I, I did see somewhere too about his chariot being returned, and I couldn't, I couldn't really find, you know, all the details on it. But he, you know, they had a lot of accessories for the gods. I bet that's not supposed getting irritated all of Marduk's uh, stuff in his in his great palace. <laughs> like, what's all this crap? It's right there. <laughs> Furniture, Marduk. Can't you just send it back? <laughs> or how, wait, how about if the gods have a thing like, can I get my, I let, <laughs> I let Asher borrow my bed 14 years ago and he still has, I never returned it. <laughs> they have to ask each other to help them move furniture. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. Carry on. It, do, it does show you though how humans of the time really, their gods were much more human, you know, and as we evolved our, or God become more esoteric, but in those days they were they were more human, closer. So yeah, that's that's the bed of Marduk. Um, we, in in six fifty three, you tell me you could pronounce better than me. Uh, Tantamani dies. He's the yeah. son of Shabaka and the nephew of Taharka. And after his death, he was buried in the family cemetery at El Kuru. He is the last king of the 25th dynasty, but uh, he uh, does not control Egypt at all. He was still the ruler of Nubia, like his ancestors, and he was succeeded by his nephew, Atlanersa, the son of Taharka. I find this uh, succession plan very confusing. It's like your your brother or your nephew succeeds. Yeah. It's, I, I think it probably maybe it kept them from killing each other. Yeah, it's uh, maybe it worked great. You know, because if you you know you always have these problems where kings don't have a son, and then you got a problem. So they had a backup plan. Wait a minute. If Tantamani was succeeded by his nephew Atlanersa, who was the son of Taharka, mm-hmm. that sort of says that Tantami was the brother of Taharka, but he was the nephew of Taharka. So this does not So I wrote the word nephew, so I might have given my family things wrong there. Uh, So he was succeeded by his cousin. Right? Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So in um, Italian-Americans, anybody from the generation before who's any part of your cousins, we call them our nephews. Uh-huh. That's probably right. So like my cousin, who's technically my cousin, who's my godson, Ian, I call him my cousin. I call him my nephew. My, I, he calls me Uncle Bernie. And I call my Aunt Joanne, who's technically my cousin, because she was my mother's cousin. I call her Aunt Joanne. So. Oh, I'm so confused right now. Yeah. But I think we can leave the 25th dynasty in peace. Now. Yeah. Let them rule if- Nubia. Yes, that's it, and then they're out of Egypt, and that's that. Yeah. 
Back to Assyria. Yeah, back to Assyria. We're getting back into Assyria. So we're in that fifth campaign again. 653 is the campaign against Mania. So maybe it was 657. Maybe it was back there. You know, maybe they were out for a long time. But part of the sixth, fifth campaign, this prism was written, you know, 10 to 30 years after the events that are on it. There's a lot of things on this prism. It goes from the beginning to the, to the, you know, the whole rule, basically. So copying and redoing and changing. So anyway, I'm putting it here, but this is what happened. Um, so here's what happened. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you it from what Asher Banapal said, but I took out a lot of the, uh, crazy stuff. You know what? Actually, you should probably do this because you're the best at reading Asher Banapal. I think a lot of the Assyrian inscriptions are based on repetition so that you can read yeah. them. That's why they list all the gods, etc. And that's why yeah. I loved Sargon's inscription so much because he left that uh, scheme and just told you more of what he felt. But here's or maybe Asher, his scribes were lazy. Maybe they were, but Asher Banapal yeah. can read and write, so he's... Yeah. Uh, this is uh, what he really intended us to hear about this. Right. Correct. On my fifth campaign, I marched against Asheri, the king of the land Mania, who had never bowed down to the kings, my ancestor, and who always answered them with disrespect. I mustered my battle troops. I made them take the direct road to conquer the land Mania. I went and then set up camp in the city Dur-Ashur and pitched my camp there. Asheri heard about the advance of my expeditionary force and dispatched his army. During the night, in a crafty maneuver, they approached to do battle. My battle troops fought with them and brought about their defeat. Over an area, the distance of three leagues march, they filled the wide steppe with their corpses. I entered the land Mania and marched about triumphantly. In the course of my campaign, I conquered, destroyed, demolished, and burned with fire eight fortified cities, together with smaller settlements which were without number, as far as the city Isirtu, I brought people, horses, donkeys, oxen and sheep and goats out of those cities, and I counted them as booty. Ashiri heard about the advance of my expeditionary force, and abandoned the city Isirtu, his royal city. He fled to the city Atrana, a city upon which he relied and took refuge there. I surrounded the cities Isirtu, Urmete, and Uspia, his fortified cities. I confined the people living in those cities, and those constricted and cut short their lives. I conquered, destroyed, demolished, and burned that district with fire. I laid waste to an area Fifteen days marched and pour out over it the silence of desolation. <laughs> In the course of my campaign, I conquered, burned with fire, 
and plunder the cities in the environs of the city Padiri, which the Manians had taken away and appropriated for themselves in the time of my ancestor. I returned those cities to the territory of Assyria. I leveled and burned with fire the district of the city Arsijanis, which is between the city Asakanani and Mount Harsi, which is before the land of the Comordians, who are in the land Mania. I killed their fortress commander, and I plundered it. I conquered the district of the city Eristiana, flattened its village, burned them with fire, and plundered them. With the assault of my battle array, I laid waste to his district and made his entire land smaller. I returned safely with much plunder and substantial booty and set foot in Assyrian territory. As for the other three cities that were formerly within the territory of Assyria, which the Manians had taken away, in the time of my ancestor, I conquered those settlements. I tore the land Mania apart from within. I carried off to Assyria their horses, their equipment, and their implements of war. I reorganized those cities, and I returned them to the territory of Assyria. As for Ashiri, the people of his land incited a rebellion against him. Afterward, Uali, his son, sat on his throne. He bowed down to my yoke for the preservation of his own life. He opened up his hand to me and made an appeal to my lordly majesty. He sent his son and heir to Nineveh, and he kissed my feet. I had mercy on him. I dispatched my messenger with a message of goodwill to him. He sent me his daughter to serve as housekeeper. As for his former payment, which they had discontinued in the time of my ancestors, they carried it before me. I added thirty horses to his former payment and imposed it upon him. <laughs> you say it best. This is the old style. He is going a bit Ashunasipal II here, I think. Mm -hmm. Just wiping everything out, like the Romans used to do. Just go in, clear everything out. But the Minians survived this with, yeah. under Uali. You know, I, I as I was read, go, watch, listen to you read it, and because of course I put it in there, but I, it struck me that the one city, he said he destroyed the district. So I wonder if, you know, that's how they could destroy so many cities they didn't really set up necessarily a siege right and they just go through and everybody has to run into the city behind the wall and it just burns everything around it well that's maybe what's going on i think yeah. the Manians are pretty hard to grasp the area they control and their relationship to the medes and other people nearby it's difficult to understand yeah i wish we had the words of the Manians. i know but he's burning everything down there's nothing Nothing left, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, these people, I think, all turn into the Persians, don't they, sort of? Sort of. We'll get into that. Yeah. And that this sort of, I think, by the Syrians, they they set the, well, we'll see later, how too, how they, some things that they do set the stage for the Persians, really. Yeah. That's not till the 40s, though. 
Because even if this is so successful for Ashurbanipal, it's a lot of work. Right. But he's, he's doing the duty, his divine duty to the Lord Asher. But it's it's a lot of work and it pisses a lot of people off. It well, totally does. It does. Do, do, yeah. The whole time you were reading it, it does remind me of the Romans, though. I, especially, you know, whenever you do the podcast of Rome, and it's like every couple... You know, every generation, somebody goes in and just goes around the barbarian and quotes to areas and just burns up all the villages and you just sort of keep them at, keep let them know who the boss is. But their, their um, language is so different when the Romans uh, do it. It's always, oh, we had to act in the defense of mm-hmm. the people and uh, we were we were cheated and they were scoundrels. Ashurbanipal is just bragging about mm-hmm. All the violence he's bringing to these people, he's proud of it. Uh, that's a huge difference. Yeah, it's a difference in what they say. I mean, even today, the bigger country, you know, the, we go out and we beat up a little country sometimes. Some people don't. As long as you keep, if you keep them from getting too strong, then you don't have a, you don't have a strong power on your border. Yeah. You know? But it can't, it had to be horrible. Just imagine, you know, your, your farm is burned, everything's burned, and then... Then you know they leave, and so your your soldiers can't fight their soldiers. Obviously, they can never beat them. It just that's how it goes. And then you have to pay the tribute. Mm-hmm. Horses are like tanks, so it's like you owe me an extra thirty tanks. <laughs> now this will all come back to the Assyrians. It always does. Yeah. Them, everybody who does this, so. So at the same time, now he's got a campaign against the Medes, which makes me feel that he just has an army out in the field just doing its deed, doing its business, you know? Or maybe more than one army. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, that's true, too. So, yeah, he then he goes into Medes, against the Medes. Again, it's part of the fifth campaign. Um, this is kind of cool, though, because Herodotus tells a little bit about this guy called Diosis. And he's so. This little backstory: He is the guy who united the Median nation, which had been five separate tribes. So, and one of these tribes were the Magi. Remember the uh, Magi in the story of Jesus, where the, the three wise men were the Magi. Yeah. And so, and it kind of reminds me of the twelve tribes of Israel, the tribe of Levi being the priestly tribe. So, anyway, there was five tribes, and this guy Diocese, he united them. He started trouble way back, and Sargon actually captured him and sent him to Syria. Um, and th- so, at those days, the Assyrians just always encountered local shahs, not a king in media. But after Diocese, his son Freortes, he succeeded him and ruled for 22 years. Some researchers say that he ruled for 53 years. And of course, these are Greek versions of the names. They probably had names as woof. There's some probably different names like that. So, but in this area, era, in the same prism, you could tell us again what he said, what Ashurbanipal says about the Medes here. If you see it there. At that time, as for Birishatri, a city ruler of the Medes, and Sarati and Parihi, two sons of Gagi, a city ruler of the land Sahi, who had cast off the yoke of my lordship, 
I conquered and plundered 75 of their fortified cities. I captured them alive and brought them to Nineveh, my capital city. That that was very brief of him. It's like 75 yeah. cities, yeah. Up, nothing, yeah. I just did it. 75. <laughs> Shouldn't there be an archaeological record of this? Maybe That's, I'm sure the Medes have 75 fortified cities. What is called as fortified? A wall or you know, maybe a fence? I would be very surprised if the Medes had 75 cities at this time. Exactly. But maybe they did. Well, you know what? Just hit me too, though. So if he's not outgoing with them, maybe it's you know also all the extra. So he's exaggerating, but I bet his generals are exaggerating too. Yeah. And we can notice that Ashurbanipal is making enemies of everyone on the East Everyone. Border. He's just making a wasteland all around. So just so, just so you listeners out there, if you ever hear somebody say, let's turn that area into glass, let's blow everybody up, it doesn't work. If you go and blow everybody up around you, eventually they come back and get you. So better to be nice to the people around you, in my opinion. As Cyrus will show us. Exactly. So, yeah, this Friorities, he's one of those names up there. He was probably in exile with his family, so he was he knew about the Assyrians. He was probably raised as an Assyrian. So so starting with his father, they the Medes started to organize into a more of a nation and not just a bunch of tribes that they could just go and beat up all the time. This this is the Medes sort of coming. And this is probably a reason, too. Maybe you can have five tribes when you just keep having these Assyrians come in and beat on you. you got to start uniting, you know, somehow to protect yourself. No time to fight amongst yourselves when you have this other guy who's coming to beat you up all the time. They've been taking the beatings from Assyria for a very long time now. Since I started listening to your podcast. Yes, so they, they have some anger issues with the Assyrians. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. And this is kind of weird. So in, so doing the research, sometimes I go through Wikipedia. and diff, I mean, Wikipedia, I don't use use. I just get some bare bones things. But I found this Persian version that I translated, which is so cool. You just translate right in Google. This said that he joined forces with the Persians and Sumerians in 653 to fight Assyria and attacked the city of Nineveh. Now, I don't know. I never heard anything with that. I couldn't find any more of anybody ever saying anything like that. So that could just be total BS, somebody mixing it up. But so maybe that's Fraortes what people in Persia say. I'm sorry? Is this a reference to Fraortes? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if, maybe, if it happened, the Assyrians uh, destroyed all the records of it. Yeah. Well, maybe that's why they had to rebuild the wall. Or maybe, but it was Nineveh, and he rebuilt the wall of Asher. Oh, yeah, right. You're right. See how smart you are? I even wrote it, I forget. But there's a mention of the Persians, of course, but uh, the, the source is Persian, right? Yeah, I literally mean modern Persian. So, in other words, I was doing research, I found something in Persian, written in Persian, oh. and then I translated it. So this was more of a modern historian that put that... So we don't know the relationship of the Persian and the Medes at this time, right? This is yeah, right. This is before they, or maybe they are just the vassals of the Medes. Yeah, the Persians they'll so not a, they start moving into a certain area in the 40s. Next next episode, well, after what happens in the next decade in the 40s, they start moving into that area there because they're Ashurbanipal. You think these are bad? He like. He puts a big-ass can of whoop-ass on some area in the 40s. I see. You know about it. 
Yes. <laughs> right. So, yeah, just like I wrote here, I think that there's a lot of uh, diplomacy going on around. The Syrians are definitely have their hands full, just like messing around with everybody in the area. Yeah, like they have done always. Always. At least they don't have trouble with Babylon yet. No, not yet. But that might be coming. That might be coming. I think we might have to carry, cover, cover that in the next episode, do you think? Mm, I, I like that. Yeah, I think because we have a couple more things coming up. And then something happens in Babylon. Uh-oh. And that should keep it all together because otherwise we'll be, yeah. We're going to have to let you guys hear it next time. All right. All right. Well, thanks, Dan. Let's. I can't wait to get back to this, though. We'll get back to it right away because I have it all ready to go. Sounds good. All right. See you next time. See you next time. Don't forget about our Patreon, Final History on Patreon, patreon.com. And if you have any research notes for me, make sure you send me on Facebook. You can find me, Bernie Mayapolsky. I'm definitely glad to hear from any of the listeners. All right. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time.